Alexander Wales. And this is episode four, fan fiction. So what are the major kinds of fan fiction that we're going to be talking about? Um, okay, so I, I divided them into three somewhat messy categories. Um, there's the, the more of this category, which is where you just want more of that thing, and you don't want it to substantially change. You just want another season of Friends. So you write fanfic of Friends that isn't substantially different from what Friends actually was. Um, there's a Twitter account, Seinfeld2000, I think, that just gives pitches for Seinfeld episodes that could take place in the modern day. Right. And these episodes aren't any different from how Seinfeld actually is. They could be made into Seinfeld episodes. So that's that's the first one. I don't tend to like it. If I reach the end of a series that I like, then I'm usually done with the series. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that I want to go seek out more of that, mm-hmm. unless it had a bad conclusion or obvious flaws or something like that. Next is uh, alternate scenarios, where you take characters you love and you put them into new scenarios to see how they'll behave or react. There, a lot of the fanfic tropes come from this. It's you put all of the characters into a high school together and they enact high school dramas and you do crossovers between two different canons take characters from one world and put them into another or another genre completely or mix two worlds together so that they both take place within the same overarching universe. Yeah. It's a lot of it's a lot of mashups and mm-hmm. things like that. I guess this actually would also include the idea of change something, a uh, single point of departure or multiple point of departure. Yes. Cuz you change one thing in the past and you look at how the effects ripple out, but you're not really changing what that thing is. Right. You're not you're not changing Harry Potter into an un-Harry Potter-like thing. It will still have all the trappings of Harry Potter, and people will still behave like Harry Potter characters, mm-hmm. and you're not changing it in its essence. So the last one is where you do that, where you recontextualize things, where you take Harry Potter, and then you take it apart and see how it works, and then maybe sometimes put it back together. I think Metropolitan Man fits in that. Mm-hmm. It's that was an attempt at taking Superman out of the Superman comics and bringing him into a different... Like, it's still Superman's there, Lex Luthor's there, and Lois Lane is there, but it's it's taking the Superman concept and exploding it apart and not putting it back together. Right. They're names and, and titles and attributes, but they're not the same people. Right. And in the Harry Potter example, more of this would be Harry Potter goes to our school. Or a school? I don't know how to pronounce that. And is going to onto his, his post-education workplace and it follows him in there. The alternate scenarios is something like Harry Potter and the Natural 20, where a character from the D&D world comes to the Harry Potter world. Yep. And the recontextualization, like you said, would be HMOR. Yep. And one of the things that I would say is important in the distinctions between them is that in more of this, they're really trying to follow the author's style and voice and themes. Like the four houses being pretty much exactly the same as they are would be the same in, in more of this and alternate scenarios. But in recontextualization, you might see what you did in HPMR where Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw 
have their their roles expanded so that they're not just NPC House 1 and 2, and Gryffindor is not House Good, and Slytherin isn't House Evil, you've got a much more complex reimagining of the world. Right, and you're taking the the Gryffindor concept of bravery, and you're you're taking it apart, and like taking that honor and duty, and you're trying to assemble a more complex, mm-hmm. good and bad, concept, right, three dimensional. Yeah. And there's a little bit of that in the the canon series, um, like the there are Gryffindor bullies in um, Harry's father and stuff like that. There's a little bit of right, it. Right, right. I don't want to deny that that happened, but uh, a lot of fanfic that tries to bring new life and new context to it will will look at it and do a deeper analysis than was done in the canon books. Right. So yeah, the recontextualization tends to be the one that's very rational, sympathetic. It's the one that you kind of have to do if you're doing a rational fic, which isn't to say you can't do a rational alternate scenario or a rational more of this. Yeah, you can do a more of this with just writing more of a, a rational story that you mm-hmm. liked. You can write, I mean, people have written sequels to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Of course, yeah, yeah. More of this being like meta fanfic too, where you get fanfic, fanfic. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you can also do a, a more of this where Harry grows up and it's basically continuing the story of, of the canon Harry Potter, but he's smarter and is more rational as a character because of everything he went through. Right. So why would someone write fanfic instead of writing your own original work, which is a question that I'm sure anyone who's ever written or talked about fanfic has heard from someone else that isn't really into it. Yeah, and why would you read fanfic? Yeah. Fanfic, to some extent, is fantasy it's mm-hmm. engaging more deeply with the characters than you can as a reader because you're you're taking your model of the character and you're making them come to life in a way. I think that's the the biggest impetus for someone to write fanfic outside of any other concerns about whether it's rational to do so or mm-hmm. not. Right? They just they just want to bring the characters to life. They do want more of it. They want to explore this world. But if we're talking about an analytical view of why you should write fanfic, you get a built-in audience. Mm-hmm. So if you if you write a worm fic, there there's an audience ready and waiting for you. Right. You will instantly have maybe a hundred people ready to read it. I mean, your story might languish in obscurity if you don't have a good pitch or if you don't have a good premise for it and if you can't sell it but if you do a little bit of work on that front you can have hundreds thousands of people reading it and commenting on it and giving you feedback mm-hmm. and that's great that like if you're just starting out as an author that's amazing to have that because getting people to read your stuff is not always easy right and it is easier in a sense because you do have built-in characters and built-in setting right you have i don't want to say the majority of the work done because to me the majority of the work for writing is the writing itself like you still have to be sitting at the computer, pen and paper, whatever it is that you're that you're using to write. That's where the real work of writing is. But at the same time, it can be easier to form plots, ideas, and relationships with fanfic for sure than with original work. Yeah, characters and setting are hard work. Characters, especially in in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have those characters ready built and you can just set them off on an adventure together, that's a lot easier. So it's easier to write, and you have this bigger starting audience. Those are really good things um, for recontextualization, especially that built-in setting helps a lot. And I think it also matters like what a writer's strengths and, and weaknesses are for whether they think fanfic is useful for them as a, as a launching point. Like, I mean, most, most people who write that I've talked to have started by writing fanfic of something. I used to write like Magic the Gathering fanfic when I was like 11 or 12. And 
than StarCraft fanfic and things like that. And characters were actually really easy for me. I had an easy time writing characters and dialogue and things, so I would just make my own characters and set them in the magic world or the StarCraft world or whatever it was. But plot and world building from scratch has been harder for me. So that's where, for me, the fanfic kind of helps make it easier to write. Yeah. For me, I guess I would say that I find characters the hardest. Mm -hmm. I find setting the easiest. I love world building. I was very active on the world building subreddit for a long time. Um, Just you can make a world and it's fun and it's uh, for me easy mm-hmm. um i think that even characters i would rather build them myself than than use something from fanfic unless i'm trying to do something very specific within the the context of the original work right i mean when i've got for example in, in pokemon i've got essentially two blank slate characters because red and leaf have no canon personality whatsoever blue kind of has a personality he's the cocky grandson of Professor Oak, and he's he's a hotshot, wants to be a champion, all that stuff. But beyond that, all the characters are really one-dimensional video game... I don't, I shouldn't say that. Video Some video game characters are obviously incredibly complex, but Pokemon characters have never been particularly complex, and, and the first-generation ones in particular were very one-note. So I, I find it a convenient setting to to put my own ideas into the characters and, and have their interactions. So there are a lot of pros to, to using fanfic as a medium for telling the kinds of stories you want to tell. Yeah, so... What are the cons of writing fanfic? Why shouldn't you write fanfic? You've got an audience of people who are more likely to pick up your story right away on day one, but your audience is generally limited to people who would read that or like that original thing in the first place. So if you write a sci-fi story, your potential audience is more or less all the people who might like sci-fi, or all the people who might look at your story and be like, yeah, I'll give that a shot. But if you write really good sci-fi fanfic that is based off of a particular story like Battlestar Galactica or Star Wars or Star Trek or uh, Firefly, then your audience is going to be limited to the people who like those things. Now, obviously, those are all things that a a fairly large amount of people like, um, but you're still limiting your audience in some respect, not just by people who like that thing, which is a smaller subset by necessity than people who like sci-fi, but also people who read fanfic generally, because not everyone does. Yeah, and it's it's not an absolute limit, mm-hmm. because you do have people who say, well, I haven't read the canon version of right, this, right. can I still read this story? And then you say yes, and then they read it. But it is a pretty severe limit. You will still get some people, occasionally you'll have someone recommend a story and say, well, I, I know it's fanfic, but just read it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Pretend it's not fanfic, because it's a great story. This is a, that's like word for word exactly what I told all my friends after discovering HPMR. Yeah. So the other thing about limited audiences, you are kind of stuck to, because you're stuck to specific canons, you're stuck to popular canons to some extent. There's this Canadian-American animated show called Wish and Poof, which is about this like magical fairy girl, and she makes wishes and stuff. And it has no fandom. There aren't Tumblrs dedicated to it. I don't currently believe there are any on fanfic.net. I haven't actually checked, but it's not popular at all. So if you write a Wish and Poof fanfic, who's going to read it? It's, <laughs> right. You, you will have to have established a name for yourself as someone worth reading first in order to get people to read this Wish and Poof fanfic. And then they will come in not knowing anything about Wish and Poof, so you, you miss out on some of the assumed character and the assumed setting. You have to explain all that to the reader as they go through because you know they haven't watched Wish and Poof because no one watches Wish and Poof. Yeah, and 
like what you said earlier about someone who'd be like, you know, hey, I haven't seen the source material on this. I haven't read the source material on this. Is, is it okay for me to read it anyway? Like, well, I miss a lot if I read it anyway. Generally speaking, those are the people who have read other things of yours that they liked and were like, okay, let me give this a try. Or within a, a community like ours, like the rational community, who'll be like, okay, I know at least some of the themes that are going to be in this kind of story. So can I read it without having the background on it? Yeah. And that's also... The background stuff is helpful, but I think it's also sometimes a hindrance because for Metropolitan Man, I just I got so many reviews that were like, oh, he's not acting like Superman. <laughs> it's like, well, he's acting in ways that it has been established that he would act within the story, mm-hmm. right? It's using the Superman conceit and it's bringing in other stuff, other characterization, and it's its own character. And a lot of people who read fanfic don't like that. Right. Or they don't they don't read fanfic like that. They don't read it as though they're coming in reading about someone who is similar to the canon character. They think they're reading about the canon character. Right. And so you'll get a lot of criticisms of, oh, this character's acting really out of character. It's like, well, no, I'm telling my own story mm-hmm. that's disconnected. It's not a continuation of canon, obviously, but beyond being annoying, I think it detracts from reader enjoyment. Yeah. And I mean, I've been on both sides of this, actually. I remember one of the few things in Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality that I, upon reading it and in reflection, still find, like, doesn't, not that it doesn't sit well with me, I just, like, part of me just still wonders why, is the whole thing with Peter Pettigrew and Sirius Black. And I find most of the departures from canon in HBMR brilliantly done. Just absolutely wonderfully done in every respect. Like make for better stories, make for more complex character interactions, makes for a better read in general. But once in a while, something like that will come out in a in a fanfic, and I'll be like, I don't really understand what the point of this was, and it it just rubbed me kind of the wrong way. But at the same time, I've also been someone who's written obviously fan fiction and had readers who will who will say something like, you know, why is Red trying to be a professor? Why isn't he trying to be champion? Red's known as the champion of Kanto. Like, why are you trying to make him a professor? My answer is like, basically, look, Red's task originally was to fill the Pokedex, not to become champion. That's something that just happened later. And like, obviously, there's still plenty of story to go. Don't judge what he ends up being based on what he starts out being. So, yeah, yeah I, I can definitely see the frustration of being a writer and being like, look, this is not the story. Like, you're coming into a fan fiction story. Understand that this is not exactly what what it's going to be in canon in every respect. Yeah, that's the point. And I've 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 written stories where I put a disclaimer on, like I'm, I'm not adhering closely to canon. I still get reviews from people who are like, "Oh, this doesn't adhere very closely to canon." It's like, well, right. okay, the fan fiction. Letting me know. <laughs> yeah. So the last con for fanfic is the, I guess, the elephant in the room, the the prophet. Yeah. Writing for money is is generally speaking not something someone should do. As a, as a primary goal, I would, I would never recommend to anyone to write professionally if they just want money or just need money. Yeah. But at the same time, obviously, if you are going to spend 20 plus hours a week writing, getting some money out of it is not terrible as a, as an incentive and, and bonus. Uh, and fan fiction, generally speaking, has none. Even if you've got like a great community and lots of supportive fans, you've got like a good Patreon going and things like that, compared to writers who, who can write, you know, even generally like, not even looking at Stephen King or, or Michael Connolly or the super successful writers that can write 24-7 as a full-time job, but even people who just write general fiction novels will make more than that. If they're going to write to support themselves in any respect, writing original fiction is, is more beneficial than, than fan fiction. Right, because you can't sell fan fiction mostly. Yeah. We won't talk about the ways that you could weasel your way around that. I don't think it's generally 
smart to weasel your way around it, but I know a lot of people have in the past. Yeah. Because, you know, you've, you've got fans, whatever, that's that's fine. And people have also gotten sued in the past. For yeah. It. Oh. And, um, I mean, intellectual property rights is a whole other discussion that could be had, so we don't want to get into that. Um, right. So just in general speaking, one of the cons of fanfic, if you're writing it, you're writing it out of passion and love of the work and love of the story that you want to tell through it, not for money. Yeah. And I don't think money should be a big consideration, but I, I think it's worth mentioning. Right. So, like we said earlier, for rational writing, one of the best things to have in the fanfiction is a recontextualization of the original. You want to try to change something about the original and, and re-examine it in a new way. What are some other attributes that you want to really see in a work before you decide this would be a good thing to write a rational fanfiction of it? Well, I think, first of all, what you need, you need to have something to change and something to recontextualize. You need to have something to make rational. So don't take a rational story and try to write rational fanfic of it unless you're trying to do more of it or you're trying to do an alternate scenario or something like that. Then maybe I can see that. But you can't recontextualize something into a rational story if it's already rational. So that's to start with. In the same vein, there are works of fiction like television shows that take place in the real world, right? And if you're trying to make something in the real world rational, you're a lot more limited in what you can do. I think that you can do it with character dramas pretty easily, but you're not going to have any real munchkinism right. if you're writing a Degrassi fanfic, right? It, it all takes place in high school, and they're high school students. You're not going to bring in your rational character and have them face rational challenges, really, unless you really change things. The goals and objectives in realistic fiction in real-world fiction, tends to be very straightforward. If you're rationalizing it, what you're essentially doing is saying, I'm going to make the main characters rational so that they solve the problems much more easily. And in that circumstance, what you're essentially doing is, if you're doing your job right, well, I guess it's not necessarily fair to say. I was going to say, if you're doing your job right, then the story will be over very quickly. But of course, then there's the idea of making the challenges they face that much more complex. But like you said, you don't really have a lot of room to maneuver. You're basically just saying, make the best choices you can with the information you have, and if the world is is uh, realistic and based off our world, then it doesn't really allow you to play with the setting too much. It doesn't allow you to explore a lot of new ideas in the story that you're writing fan fiction of. Right. But you can, you can write rational fiction about, you know, stuff that takes place on Earth. Yeah. It's just, there are a subset of fictional works which are really easy to take from what they are and then make them a rational version. And I think that, so if we take speculative fiction as basically one of the genres that we want to be looking at most closely for things to rationalize, um, I think that in addition to that, you want to find a setting that has defined rules. They don't need to be defined all that well, but if it's just a setting where things happen, I think magical realism is basically the speculative fiction genre where things just happen. And no one cares. It's just so blase, yeah. Yeah, no one cares, and they don't have rules, really, and it's just... I hate, I hate it so much. Yeah, I'm not a fan of, of magical fiction. I Magical realism? Yeah, or, sorry. Yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of magical realism. I was an English major. I, I have a BA in English, and there's so much magical realism, mm -hmm. and that's 
almost all of the speculative fiction that was assigned for reading. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the, we can do a whole episode on examining the genre if we if we need to. But there's a number of, of stories that I've read that are highly critically acclaimed and and lots of people recommend. And I find out their magical realism, and I'm like, okay. And I start reading. I'm like, yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Well, the reason for that is that like speculative fiction is in its sort of genre ghettos, mm-hmm. right? There's the sci-fi ghetto and the fantasy ghetto. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get out of that ghetto, you have to sort of disclaim the the genre. You have to say, oh, no, no, it's got, like, aliens and time travel, but it's not science fiction. Right. This literary work. And I think it's really easy for magical realism to get out of the fantasy ghetto. Which is itself just so strange because all they're doing is, is not acknowledging the fact that magic happens. And right. The- well, and, like, Kurt Vonnegut, his most famous book, like, the critically acclaimed author he's one of my favorite authors and he wrote slaughterhouse five and the first sentence is billy pilgrim became unstuck in time and it's all about billy pilgrim time traveling there are aliens in it and people are like oh no this isn't this isn't sci-fi because sci-fi is this gross thing so yeah Kurt Vonnegut is what I would consider a really great writer. I love his stories uh and I don't even really consider him magical realism because he tends to not all his books anyway but he tends to address what is going on yep and it's a much more science fiction take on it which i like it's like science fiction realism which is not an established genre right, right. at all like it's it's not just that magical realism doesn't try to explain the magical things but it doesn't even take them into account as things that are happening in the story they just yeah, yeah. happen and then that's it. 100 years of solitude uh, was probably one of the hardest books i ever had to force myself to get through and it's won all sorts of awards and it's considered magical realism one of the one of the first magical realism books that really hit the international uh scene and like it early on in the story it, i mean i don't like the book for for many many reasons i can go into another time but um Early on in the story, there was a bunch of gypsies passing through the town, and they the book was listing all the th- amazing things that they brought with them. And um, the one that the story focuses on is the icebox. But one of the other things they mentioned was a flying carpet, a literal flying carpet. And a couple of chapters later in the story, the father of the main character is looking for the ocean, and leads a bunch of people to look for the ocean and tries to find it over mountains and swamps and tons of people die and they never find the ocean. And all I could think the entire time while reading it was, why didn't you use the goddamn magic carpet that you just mentioned a couple chapters ago being real? Right. And that's what really, I guess, as a rational writer and someone who likes reading rational stories, I'm more sensitive to that than the general audience might be. But the fact that things like that happen in magical realism stories just makes the whole genre to me hard to read and enjoy yeah and it's hard to rationalize because you don't you have to just make up your rules like you would have to make up rules about how this magic carpet works and if you want to preserve the plot then you you just have to bring in so much stuff that wasn't in there Mm -hmm. and it sort of is hard we're going to talk about exposition in a later episode but it's hard to establish all these rules for things that have no semblance of rules right. and no no thought on the part of the author. And the author doesn't need to think about those things necessarily, but you do for rational fiction. And a lot of um, a lot of the settings that are amenable to rationalization have defined rules that have been thought about a little, but not the full amount. Right. 
they've put the effort into making a system. They haven't put in quite all the effort to making the system entirely self-consistent and, and yeah. thought out fully the consequences of what would happen in a world that has this kind of uh, system in place. That's what makes magical realism almost an anti-rational genre to me. The writer of A Hundred Years of Solitude admitted that he wrote it in the style his grandmother told stories of just inserting magic things into regular stories for no reason other than to keep his attention as a kid. And I get why some people like it, and obviously depending on the skill of the writer or the personal tastes, some are more enjoyable than others. But to me, for the most part, it's just the worst of both worlds. Most I've seen either don't have the integrity to explore the very ideas they hinge their story on in any way, or the story doesn't hinge on those elements at all, and they're just there as a form of mindless spectacle. Yeah. Sorry, I could rant about this all day. I'll put a review of 100 Years of Solitude on my site for anyone interested in reading it. But yeah, magical realism is escaping the fantasy ghetto by doing as little as possible to acknowledge the fantastic elements in its story, so that quote-unquote serious people can read it without feeling guilty. And the story usually suffers for it, in my view. It feels like dishonest storytelling to me. And that relates very heavily to fan fiction, because fan fiction is its own ghetto that people treat in much the same way. And I think the reason for that is basically fanfic has no editors. Yeah. It's all driven by recommendation instead of having these gatekeepers. Because in, like, published literature, you have an, a publisher who first looks at your manuscript, reads maybe the first five pages to see whether it's worth continuing, and then throws everything that's not worth continuing back in the bin, right? So there's that first filtering process, and then it goes to an editor who also uh, deals with spelling and grammar and helps the author and whatever, and that's a second filter. And then you have that additional filter of recommendations uh, from like people telling you that this book is worth reading or whatever, from getting it in stores. So fanfic uh, has none of that. It, it has no filters. The only filters you get are recommendations from other people, and those aren't hugely reliable, I've found. Um, so that, that's why fanfic is in its own ghetto. I don't think it's right to judge them like that. Sorry, there's a long digression on oh, yeah. why, why, fan, why there's this perception of fanfic as being bad, because mm -hmm. a lot of it is bad, but a lot of stuff that people try to get published is bad. I worked as a... Um, my sister was an intern at a publishing company when I was in college, and I um, lived with her at the time, and so I'd help her out reading manuscripts, and so many of them were just... Yeah. And, and the manuscripts I was reading, like, these are people who took the time to write an entire novel, and they took the time and the money to have it printed out and sent in to a publisher. They've already gone through one filter, right. and still so much of it was not good. I, I get into arguments sometimes with people about publication and whether editors actually help, because sometimes they... I mean, editors can help make your work good, mm -hmm. but editors and publishers don't necessarily select for quality. They select for what's going to sell. Right. There's the whole so, Fifty Shades of Grey uh, conversation that can yeah. be had. Yeah, well, I'm Fifty Shades of Grey started as fanfic. Yes, so. there, was a, there was a really great Alicorn short story uh, called Earthfic, I think it was called. Yeah. I loved that so much, and if anyone hasn't read it, it does a great job of flipping the perspective of the sci-fi and fantasy ghettos, letting you examine a world where literary norms are kind of flipped around. So let's go back to what are the best elements in stories to rationalize. What's something that you saw that made it really easy for you to think, I can write a rational fiction of this? Yeah, the movie Frozen is so, not incoherent, but it's got, like, stuff that it shows you 
and then it just sort of forgets about it. And that made writing a bluer shade of white really easy for me because you don't need to dig for stuff. Yeah, you don't need to dig for stuff. You don't need to like go looking in the corners. It's all right there in front of you. Yeah, and this is also one of the um, great benefits of of when you're looking for a work to rationalize. If you're thinking to yourself, okay, I want to write a rational fiction. Um, I really enjoy you know these three stories or these three books or this movie and these two books or whatever it is. You've got a list of ideas for stories that you want to try to take a crack at rationalizing. Look for something with a, with a system in place that you can optimize that you can do better that you feel like you can really flesh out more uh look for characters that are you know irrational most characters are irrational in some respect but look for characters that are holding back the story the potential of the story with their irrationality you know it's it's most a lot like i said most most stories have a character or main character that aren't fully rational and that's okay but if the character is if the character's irrationality is essentially railroading the story in a mediocre direction like you know like bella was in twilight um like the main character in in beautiful creatures um who was just ridiculously criminally incurious about everything that was going on around him you've got a great potential there for a rational story that you can work with so system that you can optimize a character that whose whose irrationality railroads the plot, so you can put it in in really novel directions by making them rational. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you can do is if you it's very common to have a sort of dumber, incurious main character, mm-hmm. and then have a side character who delivers all the exposition and they're really smart. It's the Hermione, basically. Right, right. And I think one of the things that's really easy to do is. You just switch focus yep. to the smart character yep. because they, they're the ones who should be digging into all this stuff and figuring out all these problems and then delivering the solutions to the main character is what happens in most canons mm-hmm. that employ that, that dynamic. Right, because the, the main character is usually used as the everyman blank slate where people can, can identify with them and tell the story through their perspective so that things explained to them are things explained to the audience at the same time. Yeah. So if you're writing a fan fiction, you are writing for an audience that already understands the world a bit better. You're, if you're writing a rational fan fiction, you're writing for an audience that doesn't need to be handheld quite as much through everything and, and is okay with reading uh, complex inspections of, of systems and, and ideas. So you can more easily switch to the intelligent, rational character. But you know, if you want to just make the main character rational and make the side character who is the... Um, curious one, hyper-rational, or, or make them rational in their own way, that works too. I think you're doing something like that with, um, it's not fan fiction, obviously, but with um, Glim Warden, where all three of the main characters are thoughtful and intelligent, but in their own ways. Yeah, yeah, and we'll um, we'll talk about that later. Uh, we'll have uh, an episode on characterization yeah. and how to do ensembles and differing points of view, but I've, I've been trying really hard to do characterization such that you have people with different points of view, but they're not wrong necessarily, or they're looking at things in different, in different ways from different viewpoints. Right. But yeah, I think fan fiction is a lot easier for, for rational fiction because of the advantages, because you have that, that built in setting. Um, and you know, I don't write that much fan fiction anymore. I've written some for the challenges under pseudonyms, but I don't write it that much anymore because mostly because of the people who come in and they say, Oh, like this thing isn't 
like canon, because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff I want to write about has just such expansive canon that I can't possibly read it all, right? Like, yeah. Worm has so much supplemental material mm-hmm. that I don't, like, I don't know the names of everyone. I don't right. know. I, there's so much extra research involved, which is fine if you are trying to write rational fiction and you want to do that research, because that that research gives you the the background and the setting and the ideas that I think makes fan fiction a really good um, vehicle for rational fiction. Mm-hmm. But it can be difficult with those, um, those large, uh, those large universes that have a lot of canon to cover, unless you're already a big fan of them. Right. Um, so yeah, rational fiction is, I would say harder to write than, than general fiction is, but writing a rational fan fiction can help with a lot of the, it can help kind of kind of um, counterbalance a lot of the difficulties of writing a rational fiction because fa- fan fiction is a bit easier. So what, what yeah. you're doing with the original rational works, um, I would say, is is the hardest part of both worlds. So I think you're doing a good job of it anyway. Thanks. I feel like one of the things that you would that that's hardest in in the difference between them is you have to come up with new problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and coming up with Coming up with new problems is hard. Seeing existing problems is pretty easy. Uh, especially if they're, like, a lot of uh, canons will have a problem that just doesn't have a solution in canon. Mm-hmm. Or they'll have a problem that's part of the plot. Or it'll just get passed by or something. And then you can just take that and you can find a solution for it. And it's a little more believable to the audience, because if you just make up your own problem and then you make up your own solution to that problem, then sometimes people will be like, oh, well, that's obvious. Right. Right. But if fanfic has that problem that no one solves or that people see and they just are like, oh, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant to the story, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can come in as the rational fiction author and find a solution for it. Um, one of the times I did that was uh, Metropolitan Man. It's like Superman can see through everything except for lead. And so then you can come in and you can be like, okay, well, how do you defend against that? Mm-hmm. Right? You increase lead mining operations and you make lead very common so that it's all over the city. You um, write articles to the editor about, you know, how people should have their privacy and their they can buy lead-lined rooms for real right, cheap. Right. And, that, and the city will have a bunch of lead-lined rooms. And now um, you can, and you can now you can mask your particular acts um, as not suspicious because lots of people have bloodline rooms. Right, and there's a part there's a part I really enjoyed writing. It's one of my favorite parts of Metropolitan Man. It has no like or very little plot or character or anything like that. It's just this bit where Lex Luthor is trying to figure out how much elemental lead is in the earth. <laughs> And he's like, okay, well, if Superman is in, like, where does Superman have to be so that he cannot see Metropolis, yeah. like, through the Earth? And I, I really, that's that's my favorite, favorite bit of Metropolitan Man. <laughs> I, I don't think most people remember it that much, but I, that you, it's so hard to do that. No, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic idea to explore, just a great idea to put into the heads of the reader and really make them consider how the world would work if, if something like this existed. Yeah, and I think that's where fan fiction as rational fiction really shines. Yeah. Because it's really hard to 
first come up with that idea because I would never, if I were, if I had no knowledge of Superman, I would never write a superhero story and be like, okay, well, he can see through anything. <laughs> right. Lead. Yeah. Because, I mean, because then I would be like, oh, well, then obviously his eyes are emitting x-rays and then killing people like x-rays are bouncing off of things that doesn't seem safe yeah but if it's established you can just run with it yeah and one last thing i want to talk about this episode is actually this idea of like how can you kind of bridge the gap between fan fiction and original fiction so if you're writing a superman story one of the really interesting ideas that i've seen is that how people can explore an idea from a traditional work like Superman in an original fiction. And there's a comic called Irredeemable. Have you ever read it? I have not, no. Irredeemable is basically a... It's kind of a it's a unique superhero world. Earth, superheroes exist, monsters, all that stuff, aliens. And the idea the story basically explores is what happens if Superman, or their Superman's character, uh, the super strong, flying, invincible, all that stuff, character goes berserk and essentially just starts killing everyone and it's a really great comic for a number of reasons and obviously it's not based on superman in the sense that superman's never mentioned and it's not the same dc universe and everything like that but they still are able to explore a lot of the questions similar to it like at one point one of the characters realizes that the plutonian which is what the character's name is the plutonian's powers are not what they seem because as many people have pointed out about superman you can't lift an airplane by one wing it would snap, right. right? Things like that. So the exploration of, of these ideas in an original fiction to something similar to something that's in an original work that you're not ostensibly writing a fan fiction of allows you both the creativity of being able to introduce your own ideas and your own characters and your own plots, but also lets you steal, essentially, from original fiction, which is what original fiction is always anyway you're stealing ideas from other things and and recombining them in new ways yeah that's specifically taking a character and making your own version of it that's called an xp right and i this is a fun fact for you uh metropolitan man was originally written as with xp mm-hmm. it was originally like this blonde like golden-haired figure who comes down that what was originally chapter the the first chapter became what's now chapter 10 but that that whole sequence was written with people with different names and different abilities and i just didn't i didn't like it as much Uh because you can't comment on superman then as well right right you can you can comment on superman people will be like oh like it's kind of about superman but if you just bring the actual Superman in, I think you have the opportunity to make a somewhat stronger yeah, statement. Yeah, you're doing a give and take of, of how powerful the, the message that you're getting across is versus uh, the freedom to explore your own ideas and someone else's ideas at the same time. Right. So that covers the basics of fan fiction and rationality's relationship to fan fiction versus original fiction. Tune in next time where we're going to be looking in depth at a specific trope, the rule of cool. All right, thanks for joining us. I'll see you next time. 